Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today started his career as a chef. After quickly realizing it wasn't for him, he moved to advertising and in four short years he made his way from a copywriter in New Zealand to one of the creative directors of Droga 5 in New York. His work over the years has been highly decorated, receiving over 100 awards and nominations. One of his most recent projects hopes to create widespread change through his campaign, Don't Look Away, which aims to raise awareness of the damaging consequences of USA's gun violence. Similar to Australian cigarette packaging, his concept is to put graphic images on every box of ammunition sold across the country. Hey, Oriel, welcome to Design Your Life. Thanks, Vince. Great to talk to you. Uh, Oriol's uh, based in New York. He's a creative director of Droga 5. And um, this is a really exciting, this is part of our series with, in conjunction with DNAD, and it's celebrating the Impact Awards, which were announced prior to Christmas. And I am interviewing six organizations, six creative people um, that have made some, um, you know, presented some incredible ideas. And, and Oriol's idea of uh, the title kind of Don't Look Away, uh, kind of, I guess, an anti-gun violence campaign, um, won an award last year. So well done, Oriel. Thank you. Just as a, as a creative, I was expecting to hear that you had an American accent, um, but um, uh, tell me a bit about yourself. Are you from New Zealand? Um, sort of. Uh, I did. I lived in New Zealand for 10 years. Um, I spent my my whole 20s there um, and that was actually where I got into advertising um, at, yeah but I originally uh, I grew up in England in um, just outside London oh, okay cool um, and how did you get into advertising um, it was a long <laughs> a long route in uh, I I was a chef um, for a few years and I was kind of sick of you know, working all the hours that everyone was out partying and um, just watching them from the other side of the uh, the stove, and um, <laughs> you know, and and never seeing uh, much of the country. So I tried to transition into jobs that were going to give me slight, a, kind of a more normal life, I suppose. Um, and originally, I thought that was going to be journalism. So I went to uh, study, uh, do a communications degree, and one of the papers while I was doing that. Um, was an advertising paper and I think you know I, I hadn't really thought about it I didn't really know much about it um, and then I started to do it and I was like oh this is this is kind of fun it's kind of creative and um, you know it, it, it felt you know interesting and, and uh, used things that I, I seem to be good at um, and I actually managed to find a night course uh, award school actually um, which is you know run out of Australia and now in New Zealand um, and I did that for two nights a week while I was studying um, and by the end of that it was 12 weeks I had a portfolio and I, uh, I, I took that to a few different agencies um, I managed to land an internship and I did that over the summer and at the end of that I was thinking oh, I want to go back to university I want to make sure I finish and get my degree and my tutor said you know no this is what you study for you should take the job um, so I did and um, yeah I haven't looked back really um, 
but it, it, it's one of those things that you when you find that thing that you're good at and that kind of matches your temperament you just know it um, and I had tried a lot of different jobs and uh, had never really found that uh, that match so so you were just so determined to find the thing that really worked for you uh, I wouldn't say I was determined I think I was just kind of failing from one job to another um, and <laughs> realizing realizing that nothing really was working you know um, I didn't have the like, temperament for like you know an office job and um, I didn't or, or even a, a job in the kitchen um, there was always just something missing you know there was a piece of the puzzle that uh, just it, it, you know they, they didn't have so uh, when I did find this, um, it kind of had everything that I enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, it, um, it's nice to find find your fit. The kind of the cliche of what, when you're doing an in- internship is like the, you'll be making the coffee. <laughs> There's an old school. <laughs> um, were you doing the coffee and a three-course meal? I mean, that would have been a real advantage, I think, for um, a lot of agencies had taken you on board, if that was the case. It helps. Yeah, it helps. You can... You know, I could, uh, could I knew my way around the uh, the barbecue at Christmas. So, um, you know, you always <laughs> cook your way into people's good books, which is not the worst. So that's really cool that you eventually found the thing that you were passionate about. And it is, I think it's really amazing these days how you can do a two-day-a-week course. Um, there's some courses here um, which are, you know, a design course you can do in three months. And out of that, you become a fully qualified designer. And I was a bit skeptical mm. about that originally, but when I started seeing the talent that's been coming through, I was just like, wow, mm. these guys are actually more, maybe because they've tried a whole bunch of other things first, and they're going, I don't have time to spend three years doing a, a long-term course. And mm-hmm. um, that conjuncted, I, I guess, that kind of like concentrated kind of efforts is probably, you know, and a real determination to you knowing that you really want to do this thing is, you know, creates the, um, oft, often the people that are really, um, you know, uh, solid and uh, passionate as well. Yeah, I think that's what we found. Yeah, we found that on on the course. I think it, it attracted those people who'd, you know, who had tried other things in life and um, knew how much was riding on this. You know, uh, and I think that's what's you, you have a value. You value it more. I think um, when you have tried, you know, multiple jobs and you've seen the other side of all those things and and for me it was like i i knew it was right so it was um you know it was kind of everything and um so i think it's funny because i i I really believe that the best thing about this job and this industry is that you you can come in and you don't need um to be fully qualified or have have a be certified by someone you know you can come in with just some great ideas um, and really have an amazing career. And I think that's, for me, the course uh, that I did was like a great example of that. It was, you know, we didn't come out perfect by any means, but we'd, we'd learned from some really good people. And, you know, in just a short amount of time, you were kind of ready enough to just get you going. And, and then your, I guess, your determination and your, your talent kind of takes you the rest of the way. Um, but one thing, well, one thing that, we find here is that you know the path into the industry you know the gatekeepers um it's much more formal you know like there is you know you spend three two or three years in portfolio school and you spend a lot of money to get that book together you know which really 
means you're only talking or you're only seeing a small slice of um, the, the people who you could potentially um, bring into the industry. So I think for me, that's something that I'm very much like aware of now and, and, and trying to kind of uh, rectify is like, how can we get people in who obviously have the ideas, but don't always have the means to come in um, the traditional route? I all agree. I mean, I really, I, I would say that it's not really, an acad- it's not really academic, is it? It's more, you know, what mm. we do, you know, it, it doesn't take long to kind of someone to demonstrate, you know, the, the process, et cetera, and kind of, uh, you know, the, how it works in the world in terms of a brief and, you know, you know getting to an outcome. Um, you know, some people are really quick at, at learning that. And it's very kind of much, very much more about the intuition, feelings, you know, all these kind of soft things that people don't tend to talk about too much. Mm. Yeah. There's only so much that you can actually teach, I believe. Um, and I, I feel like the ones that really excel are the ones that just, you know, just there's, there's a certain naturalness to it, it looks like, but it's more around, and I guess a whole bodied, um, a full bodied kind of like um, uh, utilization and focus on know cracking ideas or determination to do something amazing or something but anyways yeah um interesting to talk about kind of obviously sounds like you've traveled a lot uh what what started that to leave the uk and go to go uh, overseas um uh, a woman um <laughs> my my then girlfriend and now wife uh we actually we met um and uh, she had already made her plans and she was traveling the world. She was, you know, doing uh, her, her, her OE, you know, her year, year off. And, um, and she was like, well, let's kind of hang out for a month. And then she left and uh, I said, well, okay, I'll see you in a year maybe. Um, and after about three months of waiting, I just got a bit bored and I was like, you know what, I'll come and meet you in New Zealand. And, um, yeah, so that was nearly 15 years ago. Wow. New York after that? Uh, yeah. Uh, so we had, uh, uh, my partner and I, my creative partner and I, we had spent a few years uh, working our way up in uh, New Zealand. Um, and we did a few pieces of work and it got some attention overseas. We actually won a, a DNAD uh, award. Um, and that was kind of the springboard, you know, you start to get calls or you start to think about your life outside of New Zealand and how is your, where's your career gonna go? And, you know, we put some feelers out there and uh, one that came back was from, was from Droga and they were interested in bringing us over um, like pretty quickly. So it all happened like uh, in a matter of like months really. Um, we were packing up uh, you know, we, I arrived in New Zealand with basically a backpack and um, left with a container full of, uh, you know, stuff and, and a, a, a child and family and um, landed in New York. <laughs> yep. And is that, is that a few couple of years ago? How long have you been in New York now? Uh, I've been in New York just over four years. Oh, okay. And uh, you're loving it? I do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's incredible. It's, um, you feel like you are kind of at the epicenter of, of a lot of things, you know, um, good and bad, you know, we arrived, uh, in 2015, you know, and the kind of election 
was just kind of gearing up, you know, so we had really a front row seat for that. Um, and it felt a bit surreal to, to really be here and watching all this stuff kind of unfold and then um, even working on pieces of work that were like playing a, a role in it as well. So, um, but I mean, New York is, in, is incredible and um, I think there are things here, you can do things here that you, that you can't do anywhere else. Um, and I think that's what keeps people here. Uh, despite all the, you know, the noise and the cost of living and all the other stuff that comes with it, it's still this um, kind of, you know, white hot ball of potential uh, and everyone's just trying to kind of crack it. And um, it's very, uh, a little bit addictive. Yeah, yeah. I know every time I come over there, I just, just kind of like kick myself thinking, why did I go, why did I move there a while back, you know? Is it too late or... The energy is phenomenal, and then the scale, uh, the constant change. I think it's more the scale that I find exhilarating. Just the, you know, obviously base, being based in Australia, you know, the, the projects tend to be smaller. Um, you know, still great projects, but the scale of, you know, the audience is just, there's, there's no comparison. Yeah. And therefore, I guess the budgets are equally um, smaller here. Um, just kind of, let's just, let's just talk about the projects. I think it's obviously... This is a personal project, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, very, very personal. Tell me how it came about. So, um, I mean, unfortunately, one of the things about living in the States is you are confronted by gun violence, you know, on a regular basis, um, more so, I think, than I'd ever been living in the UK or New Zealand. It's you feel it feels much more immediate and part of that is because you see how it affects even our lives we're here in new york and we're in a place where thankfully has like very strict gun laws so but you still see how that kind of impacts your life and your your family's uh lives and for me that was really like brought home when you know i have a, a six-year-old who's in uh, first grade at the moment and they have lockdown drills um just like they do for fire drills and things like that. But they have lockdown drills in first grade at six years old um, where they're teaching them how to deal with, you know, um, those awful scenarios that um, unfortunately play out so often here. So for me, it was feeling very, very um, personal. And uh, and then obviously in the last couple of years, we've had um, so many incidents and particularly I think the Parkland one was like a turning point it felt like for the country and also it was kind of the the beginning or the catalyst for this idea in that um, we went on the March for Our Lives uh, in I want to say it's February or March 2018 I think um, and we took our whole family on on that march and you know along with like millions of others and it felt like there was a real momentum um, and a new, something new, I think people were kind of really gravitating towards uh, new solutions and new ideas. And it felt like this, this fight had been kind of re-energized. And I came away thinking, um, I have to attempt to do something. I have to contribute something to this because in years to come, I want my kids to kind of look back and, uh, or ask me when they're old enough to understand what I do, what did I do about this? Um, and I wanted to just be able to say, okay, I did, I tried to do a little bit more than just march and, um, 
So I spent a bit of time, my partner and I spent some time, you know, sitting down, talking about it, thinking, you know, how do you come at this differently? How do you, it seems almost insurmountable and, and you know, it, things have stalled so much. Um, you know, how do you come at this or think about it even differently? And I think uh, one of the big shifts that we made um, was thinking about gun violence and less about this kind of Second Amendment um, fight and more about uh, a public health issue. You know, if you think about it like a, an epidemic or a, a public health crisis, does that take you into new, you know, solutions and new places to think? So we kind of focused there because we thought we're never going to win this Second Amendment argument. That's not going anywhere right now. You have to kind of come to terms with, I think, that fact. Um, and let's try and approach it from some a different angle and try and get around that almost. And um, I think it was really just one day after maybe a, a week of, of conversations, I was just kind of walking along and I remembered the cigarette packaging that, um, you know, I think you guys are familiar with in Australia and I'd, I'd grown up with in the UK and in New Zealand. You know, it's very common around the world. And I was like, could you just do that with boxes of ammunition? You know, what if those were pictures of the damage that bullets do to bodies, but on ammunition, just the same way that we 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 put those pictures on on uh, tobacco packaging. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And I mean, really, it was just a case then of like, well, that, that seems like a very simple idea, but how do you prove? How do you even kind of get close to proving that that could work? Um, so we spent really the next year and a half, I guess, in like kind of development, really talking to people who, um, you know, who do actually work like, uh, in this area, you know, in all different like facets of it, you know, like trauma surgeons and veterans and, um, people working for uh, gun violence prevention organizations, you know, it's really a case of testing the theory with a lot of people who actually had the firsthand, um, you know, knowledge of this subject, um, and I guess yeah, that was the that was the beginning. But uh, the actual process of getting the getting it live, you know, was um, was a lot longer. You know, the idea felt like it was easy to have, but obviously, actually bringing it to the world is is a, a much much longer and more difficult um, process. I guess because you're doing it yourself, did you have much of a team? behind you to support you with this or is it just you doing your spare time um so for the initial launch we we had uh a team of of people who i mean they were all people i know they're friends they're personal friends who work in the industry in various parts of production and, and really we were just calling on the people that we knew who um were passionate um about not only the issue but about just you know the potential of of ideas and you know who I think we just knew them personally that they would be drawn to to something like this and they were all extremely keen to help so we had some um, some great like uh, composers and and sound engineers and um, coming in and donating their time and then we had uh, a friend who donated his uh, kind of visual effects um, expertise to the final film so we had we did have people definitely to help but mainly it's it's really a, a solo 
um, exercise. You know, it's it's me um, and it's uh, it's my nights and it's my weekends um, and lunch times. You know, uh, making calls and um, and sending emails and and kind of trying to just inch this thing along. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the but the the passion, I guess, is is the thing that keeps it going. Um, and uh, knowing that it's uh, it, it's 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 a long road, I think, helps actually just um, by taking it kind of an inch at a time. Um, uh, it's yeah. I mean, the, the figures are staggering in terms of what I was reading here. Just that um, in 2018, mm-hmm. 40,000 Americans were killed through gun violence. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is today. You know. Um, is it, is it, what's the data now this year? Do you know? Um, I, I'm not sure where we're on track for at the moment, but it, it has been going up, and that's the, the scariest thing is despite, I think, all the awareness and all the efforts that, you know, there have been over the last few years, um, sadly, it's, it, it's going up. And I think one of the things that we wanted to do with this campaign is actually make people aware um, to stop thinking about gun violence as just you know the the mass shootings I think that dominate the news cycle um, because I think those are so shocking and they're so, just so uh, unfathomable that you know they they really just they they take up a news cycle and um, and you have that same conversation playing out but actually the reality is that those types of shootings account for a tiny percentage of the the deaths the annual deaths from guns you know and when we started looking into it um you know we were shocked by just the stat that actually of those you know 40,000 deaths that you mentioned two-thirds of those are suicides and you know for us that's like a that that is the epidemic that we're talking about you know is it's it's not in the news every day because how could you report those kinds of figures you know but um that for us was felt like okay that that's an issue there we there is nothing on the table currently to try and solve that you know that all the we looked at actually all the um all the proposed legislation uh that was on the table the new york times had done a study of like 29 ideas um that were out there to kind of prevent gun violence and all of them were about um restricting uh, the access to guns, or um, controlling who could who could get them, or uh, restricting the types of guns, you know, taking them off, taking high-powered assault rifles off the streets. But it was all about like uh, regulation and restriction. And we were, we looked at it and we thought, you know, where is the where's the behavior change going to come from? Like you can take these you can take these you know out of people's hands. Um, you can make them harder to get. But like ultimately, where is the actual like change from within the community that's actually going to last a lot longer um and that for us felt like the the biggest gap was like there was nothing really addressing that it was it felt like a lot of very immediate solutions which you would expect because the problem is just so um visceral and it's so um you know you you just have this kind of reaction that you want to stop it immediately um so we kind of thought well okay like they don't. We don't need another idea in that space. But let's think about something that actually works at a more um, generational level. You know, and and for us, when we look at the 
the data of um, uh, of the graphic warnings on tobacco, that is how it's worked. You know, in the last twenty or thirty years, there's just been this steady decline, and it's not all necessarily to do with graphic warnings. It's you know the cost of smoking has gone up, but um, but what the World Health Organization has said is that these graphic labels have been the most cost-effective way of educating um, smokers and non-smokers about the health risks of smoking, you know? And if you believe that the more you know, the more educated you are, the better decisions you can make, that felt like a good place to start when you're thinking about a problem like this. Mm. So have these, has this been applied in, in the market or not? Uh, not yet. Um, that's the plan. And um, I think, you know, the reality, knowing just uh, how little movement there has been on any legislation, uh, gun violence prevention legislation, um, you know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that this is a very long term project, uh, like unlike anything that I would normally do in my day job. You know, um, when you think of the I keep going back to the the tobacco uh, packaging example, but you know that was from its I guess original conception to implementation was years. You know these things are kind of they take that long I think to work their way through and probably even longer, knowing the state of you know politics here unfortunately. So it's um that is our end goal is one day you know to see these um, applied. Um, whether that is something that happens in two years or 10 or 30, I think I'm kind of in it for the long haul now. And I, I see my role as being getting this idea into, into the public, like um, into public discussion so that it is one of the solutions that people talk about. So we move beyond just thinking about gun violence as, as a, as a, gun control um, I you know problem and seeing it more as a as a behavioral change you know and, a, and um, trying to kind of come up with solutions that are uh, that last much longer have you have you tested it with the intended audience um, so we I've had a lot of discussions with um, uh, people who have been directly affected by gun violence. Um, some of those have been gun owners themselves. Uh, they're usually people who are more on the, like, I'd say responsible end of the spectrum. You know, if they are gun owners and they do believe in the Second Amendment, they but they also believe that we are in a, a crisis and things need to change. Um, the next phase, actually, of the campaign that we're working on at the moment is is that exact scenario it's it's testing it on the people who you know would be the intended audience you know it's the people who are going and um buying ammunition and have maybe have multiple guns you know and um so that is kind of the next the next uh phase is is more of a focus group um situation where we can sit these people down and kind of get those reactions um and uh, and and go from there, really. I mean, it's a, it's a very different. I know the. I can see the logic in it from the cigarette packs. Although, the cigarette pack is you tend to be buying the product for yourself, and in a way, it's a, 
uh, a longer-term suicide, you know. I mean, but you don't think that when you're doing it, but to see that confronting images of this could happen to you is different. Mm-hmm. Different when I look at this and go, well, actually, if it's on ammunition packaging, for example, presumably that's the effect they want to have on... I mean, why would they buy a gun if they didn't intend to, sh- you know, arm somebody with mm-hmm. or protect themselves? Um, is there anything in that? Is that like... Do you reckon, it's for some people, they go, we, they would be possibly even motivated by that type of imagery, wouldn't they? I mean, I'm, I'm just, it, it, just top of line mind thoughts, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're not wrong. And it's something that actually, like, we've had, I've had discussions about with, um, uh, you know, people who have kind of raised a concern whether, you know, for someone who is potentially feeling, um, you know, suicidal, that sometimes imagery like this can, you know, um, it, it can have the opposite of intended effect. You know, it can actually um, maybe push them over the edge. Or, you know, and if you go and look at some of the comments we had in reaction to launch from some pretty seriously hardcore gun communities, you know, they thought it was, like, funny and they thought it was, like, just shows you exactly what the bullets um, do. So that's that's what they want. And I think there is always going to be an element of that and for us it's whether though whether those uh segments of the audience are large enough that you don't do it you know um and whether for the majority of gun owners that who we believe are generally like they are responsible people you know and they aren't buying a gun and thinking about all the you know all the the bloodshed they're going to um, create with it they're buying it because in worst case scenario they have to defend their house and um, but for us what we wanted to do is is really bring these these graphic the, the graphic realities and the graphic consequences of gun ownership right into your face and I think part of the problem is that it's become so detached from the crisis in that the way we experience gun violence in this country is through um, ever-increasing uh, numbers in headlines, you know, that they they kind of lose their meaning because they're so, so huge. Um, or we see the grieving families and, you know, the, the, the funerals and the, the pictures, the kind of, you know, school pictures. And, and we kind of remember, we have this formula for how uh, we respond to gun violence and, and how it's presented to us. And it ne- it, you become numb to it, and I think um, part of our, you know, conversations, uh, or in part of our conversation with the American Public Health Association, what they're trying to fight is what they call statistic fatigue, which is that we all know the stats. We, you know, you know that forty thousand uh, Americans die from guns every year, but we have no idea what that actually looks like, you know, because we're so protected by it. And I think for us, it is a risk. We are, these pictures are graphic and there are some people who are going to, you know, um, see that as a, as a positive or twist it. Um, and, but I think f- the people that we're trying to reach are the people in that middle who are generally responsible, who don't buy guns and ammunition with the intention of wanting to do harm to people. Um, and who, if I think they saw 
the risk that they're putting themselves um, at and the people around them would think differently. You know, it would just make them question whether they need a gun in the house or whether the gun that they do have is secure enough because, you know, a huge part of those gun deaths are actually the preventable deaths of, of kids, you know, who find unsecured guns. And that's part of the epidemic that we, we just don't hear about and we don't see. And um, so I think those are the people I think we're trying to reach. And, um, you know, that's, that's the plan anyway. Well, just looking at the stats here from, I mean, you mentioned that out of the 40,000 deaths per year through guns, um, two-thirds were suicide, which is staggering. And just the stats here says same year 48,344 Americans died by suicide so if those stats are right out of that 40 it sounds like a, a very very high percentage number of people are using guns um, to end their lives sadly mm-hmm. equally it says 1.4 million uh, estimated 1.4 million suicide attempts um, so it's, it's a staggering number of people that are, are actually calling for help or Ending their mm-hmm. life through this through this way. I mean, there's obviously other ways of doing it. We won't go into too much detail around this, but I just think that on the face of it, I just didn't see this is predominantly aimed at that at that market. If the greater number of people who are dying through um, you know guns are suicide attempts, that's a really that's an epidemic, isn't it? It is, yeah. And the the saddest thing is that. Know um, people who are struggling um, often make attempts, um, but without the intention of necessarily, you know, following through. And, and you know, often they are those cries for help. You know, and the problem with having guns uh, around is that it makes all those impulse decisions. Uh, it makes them permanent, and mm. that is the the the. The most tragic thing is that you see a lot of uh, domestic violence as well is a, is a, a huge problem and is, you know, in in, pla- in homes where a gun is present and if domestic violence occurs, the chances that the woman in the home will be killed goes up by 500% just because the gun is in the house. It makes those impulsive, uh, emotional uh, moments that... Um, you know, ha- happen to so many people around the world, you know, when the gun is there, it just makes those fatal um, and permanent. And for us, it's, you know, the awareness, I think, of those stats is a, a real key thing is that it's we're not just necessarily talking to the person who owns the gun and who buys the bullets, but we're, t- we're talking to their, their families and the people who kind of, um, you know, grow up around them. If you know that someone... Uh, if you know someone who is struggling with mental health problems and you know they have a gun and you see a, a, you see this you know this messaging suddenly I think you're you're a bit more aware of that ri- the risk that they're at whereas before I think you just we don't put the two together because that's not however that's it's never presented like that so I think for for this project it's you know the same way that uh, for smoking, it, it actually the effect was not necessarily on the person smoking 20 a day when when these labels were applied. Uh, it's more on the children who are growing up in those houses, watching their parents smoke, um, and suddenly 
they can see what's happening to their parents on those packets and it makes them think twice uh, about starting themselves. And that's the effect I think we, you know, our hypothesis anyway is that this could have is that growing up in places or in houses and communities that are gun owning and is part of the culture, um, just knowing those risks may uh, help the next generation kind of make a more informed decision about whether they want to buy into that culture um, as fully as maybe previous generations have. Well, it's a bit, I guess in a way, um, you're de-glamorizing you know, what, what designers and businesses are doing are trying to make all the packaging look, you know, highly desirable. I mean, that's something which we talk about a lot here is going, well, designers have a responsibility to be conscientious about uh, what they're doing. Not to, Don't just, you know, design things just to make a living, but design things. Make sure you have a conscience about what you're doing. If you don't if you don't want to partake in something, if you want to be more sustainable and kind of encourage companies and businesses to actually uh, use less packaging or, or kind of different materials that are more um, or less likely to damage the earth, you know, you can't help but look at, you know, if you, if you Google um, gun ammunition, I mean, it just, it's designed to look highly desirable. Cigarette packaging used to be highly yeah. desirable. It used to be on racing cars, it used to be everywhere. Um, how do you think, you know, I, I can just see you, you kind of slapping your message on a highly desired pack really creates, it's like a real juxtaposition and, and really disrupts that packaging and that engagement mm -hmm. with the packaging in store, for example. But let's just talk about, you know, I'm sure that would be highly effective, but uh, I guess surely the image is, the image of owning a gun is... Uh, you know, comes from the kind of the Wild West and all those movies we watched as growing up as kids and the glamour, glamorization of of yep. that world. It's just like the world is working against it. Do yep. I mean? Like, I mean, you watch TV, especially in America or anywhere in the world. Like, I watch. You watch in the news, and and then and then you watch, then you go, hey, and there's new film coming out with, you know, every single one is about murder and killing, detection and detective work trying to find who was the murderer i mean it's all been glamorized it's a it's a mess really yeah. when you look at it and you go we, we, we're all saying this is going to stop but actually there's a massive industry entertainment yeah. industry that's all about that yeah the uh, the all these crimes are take going on all around the world that are you know obviously fiction but based on you know true stories or whatever it might be i don't know yeah. i kind of felt such a such a, 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 a we're so at odds with all that like we no, absolutely. Is that yeah, that's fueling it probably, um, and it's making them too. Yeah, no, I think we are definitely. We're trying to reverse, like um, you know, decades of 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 the glamorization of like gun violence, really. You know, and uh, it's become such a, a part of our like entertainment culture. You know, it's hard to imagine like an action movie without guns in it. Um, and I think the part of the biggest problem is that we've grown up with gun violence, but we've never actually seen like gun violence. You know, it's, it's even at its worst in a movie is is just nothing compared to actually when you know. Unfortunately, part of this project was looking at a lot of images of of gun violence, and it is just it's there's nothing 
out there in the world that looks anything remotely like um, what it looks like to really see it for real. And I think we've just become, uh, American society has just become detached, you know, from it's, the gap between the gun and what it does to the body has just become so big that I think a, our project hopefully is just one of those steps in trying to bring those closer to each other so you really understand when you pick up a gun when you go into the store and you see the ammunition packaging like you're saying it's all been designed it's, uh, that look to look kind of you know bold and and um you know brave and, and kind of strong and lots of targets on everything and um you know what what you're really getting and the risk of what you're getting just we want it to be top of mind um for people so that it really is if you still choose we're not saying don't own a gun i think that's the biggest you know difference with our um idea is that we're not saying don't own a gun it's we're just saying if you do own a gun know the risks um that come with it you know um it might be your right but you have to ha know the responsibility too um so yeah it we, we're definitely really trying to go up against that um, and obviously knowing just how big, how, how long that idea of gun violence has been entrenched in, you know, movies and all the entertainment we consume, uh, it's, it's not easy. Mm. Um, and what types of projects do you work on at Droga 5? Um, so I, I do a, quite a, a variety of things. Um, you know, I, I do a lot in like the kind of banking world. Um, uh, because Chase Bank is one of our largest clients, but um, I actually also get to work on projects that you know are reasonably uh, close to my heart. And um, uh, for example, we're working on a project right now, which is all about uh, mental health in young people um, and encouraging people to you know reach out and talk to people that might be struggling. So um, for me, that's I guess that's part of the reason I wanted to get. Uh, I wanted to do this project, um, the gun violence project, is because I feel like I have to, I have to be doing something to make someone or something better and and contribute something positive, um, you know, to to the world. If not, if just so I can look back and say, oh, I, I tried, you know, I did, um, I used the, the whatever platform I have to to try and make a, a positive difference. Um, so luckily, um, sorry. No, no, you go on. I was just uh, so luckily. Yeah, my job at Droga allows me to to do that as well. Yeah, it sounds like you. I mean, it sounds very much like you're a conscientious creative. Um, do you ever have a situation over you know your career so far where you just ref you know you just say, look this is this project is against my beliefs, or you know that's one extreme, and the other could be that you help a client kind of evolve their thinking to more it's more doing good yeah so the first one i have had that situation um where i've had to you know turn, say no i can't be involved because um you know i i for my own principles and my reasons um i can't really work on that and uh, i can't really say much more about it at the moment but um uh I think, you know, I think thankfully when you work at places that really support having a strong kind of point of view, um, generally you find that they're, they're pretty understanding. Um, 
and everyone has their own you know their own set of values and 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 idea of what they will and won't do and um i mean for the the second part of your question i it's something i'm trying to do really on every client is to even in a small way it's like how can we how can we make this mean a bit more you know and how can we say something a bit more that's gonna um really have a strong point of view um on the world and and uh and and a positive um point of view so that's definitely something i'm i'm trying to do now as uh as as maybe i get a little older and more able to influence the work and have those kinds of conversations with clients um it's it's really trying to bring my own kind of values into what i do and and uh, uh as much as possible mm. yeah over the years we've had uh occasionally companies come to us even ammunition companies in the middle east wanting us to do an annual report or something like that or a brand <laughs> and i remember going mm. you know and the difference was that you know no more often than not we have to really push for you know solid fees from projects with this one it was like you know budget is mm. you know not an issue i was like oh my god um you know they, they kind of the temptation there but going because you know we're predominantly uh you know uh charged by the hour mostly on projects or as a mm. business you're constantly trying to fill the studio with enough work to keep it going and when you say when you make the decision to say no to a project which you know in your heart is the right thing to do mm. you, you know that that comes at a cost and it's i guess is an immediate I think maybe that's sometimes why people go, you know what? Ah, we need the work. We'll do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's sometimes it's people, creatives struggle with it more, I think, generally because we're, we're just more sensitive, you know, to the world around us. You know, like you take so much inspiration from it that when you get asked to do things that potentially, you know, um, uh, maybe going to be harmful i think the conflict for us is is great you know and um i know a lot a lot of creatives who live with that and you find ways to kind of to deal with it um whether it is with side projects and passion projects um or you you know remove yourself completely but um i think it, it's good to at some point know where your line is and because you 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 have to get up to it and see it and kind of know what you are willing and or not willing to do. And um, I think like one of actually like my favorite quotes, um, I think it was from Bill Birnbeck, um, but he said, a, a principle is nothing until it costs you money. And I always just kind of it stuck with me and I always try and live by it and, you know, and think, okay, like it may cost you some short-term financial gain but I think the thing that you gain like you're saying is that sense of you know your your principles solidifying themselves and and you know you go forward with that and that lasts a lot longer that feeling lasts a lot longer than hopefully that any of that the money would have absolutely um it's also just in terms of uh, I think that's a really good point what you said too around you know creatives tend to be much more kind of feeling type people and very much aware of what's going on around them in the world um, mm -hmm. often see things coming before others too or see trends or mm -hmm. patterns or often in that in that situation other people around you um, who are 
perhaps more left brain thinkers don't see it, and or if they if they even communicate it, they're highly skeptical, or they just think you're just label you as being difficult. That often yeah. that often comes up. Um, yeah. But I think like in this at this time in our lives, you know, 2020, um, it, it just seems to me that the momentum is growing. I know you hear about people campaigning to do good from you know way back the 70s, etc. Um, it seems to me that this really kind of achieving kind of critical mass um, and, you know, such as the Impact Awards exists because of that, because people have realized that design and ideas and creativity ha- is so powerful and change and make the world a better place. Um, it's really we're at our best time ever to be, to be able to have that, those opportunities to start making a difference, you know, to start fixing fixing things, mending the world, you know, et cetera. And I think now, absolutely, because I think I think people, the big shift is now that people are realizing that it makes like business sense as well. And, you know, that's been the challenge is that so often doing good, you know, you have to choose between doing good for the planet and the people in society or for your shareholders. And I think now, we're starting to see those two things get a little bit closer together in that um, you have to be seen at least to be doing good and you have to, people are smart enough now to know if you're, you know, bullshitting, you know? So um, I think it is a great time to actually stick by those principles because I think you see brands coming back towards them and you're less of the difficult creative now, you're more of like the, uh, the person out front and you know saying this is kind of where we're going and you see the generation who is in a few years going to be buying all the stuff we're selling that's where they're going so um you know we'd be we'd be crazy not to um not to be listening yeah i mean we, we've been inundated by clients who are you see it kind of creeping up for a while now but like there's not one that's walked in the door in the last six months that's not talking about sustainability. How can we need to, our customers are, are asking this of us, how can you help us become more sustainable as an organization? The customers of Ting for the organizations, yeah. you know, their dollar is going to the organizations that they are aligned with, that they believe in, who are, are doing good. Um, it doesn't mean you have less quality or less of a product. In fact, I think it's pushing everybody to think harder, smarter, you know, better solutions uh, in the long run. Mm-hmm. I, say, I think it's as much as it's a scary time, and we're talking about gun violence, talking about, you know, the, all the fires and the climate change. You know, I, I, I get a bit kind of uh, overwhelmed by that at times mm-hmm. going, oh my God, you know, what the, what do we do? You know, which, what do you do first? Where, where can we hope? Um, it can be a bit deliberate, uh, yeah. you know, it can yep. debilitating. And um, how would you encourage creative people to, um, you know, make that kind of first step if they are at all kind of like not not sure what to do or where to put their energy. Mm. Mm. Um, I I'd say for me the thing that's helped the most is when it, it, it is it is overwhelming to look at look at it globally. Um, so I think for me it really helped to just kind of start with my own backyard, and um. You know, and that could really be as local as literally your neighborhood, you know, or it can be your city or it can be, you know, a country. But 
um, it does help, you know, I, can, I think to just stop yourself from feeling like uh, just paralyzed, um, you know, and, and like you're saying, not know where to kind of put your energies because it, it's all important, you know, how can you choose one cause um, because they're all kind of vital. Uh, but for me, the thing I think that helped me narrow it down was that I was seeing the effects you know, it was something I was feeling in my own life and seeing in my own life and that I really wanted to be able to say I did something for because my kids are going to school, you know, and going through these lockdown drills, you know, and then they're going to go away to college or high school and, and live with the effects of, of gun violence in this case, you know. And um, so I think that I would say, what's the, the saying? It's like... Uh, think global, act local, you know, and I think it, it really does ring true is, is bite off a piece of the problem that is right and kind of right in front of you because that you, you will know, you will have, you'll be more suited to um, find solutions for that because you know it, you know, if it's something that's affecting your community and the people around you, um, you know, you are going to be the best person to to um to think about it and to try and come up with a solution uh, so and then from there you know once <laughs> you can maybe work out and um eventually i don't know world domination or something but um i think uh starting with what's in front of you can can really help what i think is interesting it's interesting you just mentioned that uh, world domination because i think in um that made me cringe slightly. But uh, <laughs> the design industry and the awards industry has been for a very long time, I guess in a way, obviously recognizing great work, but also, I guess, fueling kind of people's egos. Um, the differences, I think, again, today is around, certainly with like the impact awards and other things, is this is actually about awarding people for great ideas. It's not, it's not kind of ego related i mean the impact of the idea is yet to be seen because obviously in this case it's not actually in the market mm -hmm. but the Im potential impact of this idea is potentially powerful and potentially you know going to be a game changer mm -hmm. i think it's less this is coming from something driven by you as a self-initiated project seeing a, a, a you know a, seeing a theme or seeing a problem um either th through your children through your through the news etc as we've all seen but you're actually acting on it, um, not, again, just to simply win an award. Well, I hope it wasn't that. But just more so sure. to, to, to take an, an idea is an idea. And um, rather than just being an idea that kind of just, you know, nice font, you know, great grid, you know, clever twist or what it might be. This is something which actually is um, uh, has more power to, to change the world for good, uh, to save lives, etc. So it's... I think that that the it, it, I'm really it's really cool that DNAD have this category, have this award, the various kind of categories that they have, mm -hmm. um, because it has real depth and real meaning and real potential beyond, you know, the usual. Yeah, yeah, I um no, I fully agree. I think you know it's been the only award that we've entered because uh, specifically because it's the the point of winning it. Um, is that you get the help you need to uh, keep doing it. You know, it, it, usually with the awards, the award is the last thing. It's the full stop, you know, job done. Um, we can all move on. 
and you know, I sometimes think, and actually it's funny, like uh, a guy I used to work with in New Zealand wanted to create uh, a category or, or an award show which awarded, you know, people for almost like every four years, you know, like like the World Cup, you come back and show your progress for that thing that you did four years ago and you get another award, you know? And I think if we changed even just the way that we kind of reward ourselves, you know, you think about all the ideas that you see at, uh, shows like DNAD, just the incre- incredible potential, um, just it just blows me away. I went to the uh, the awards night here in New York, and it was just you sat just there just watching, watching idea after idea, idea come, come up on, on the screen, screen and you think, if all of these things had the kind of backing that you know, you know, if you, know, if you took, took them to Silicon Valley or if you took them around to, to, to VCs and, and, and you put the money and the time that they all need, you know, and the investment. Um, it would it would be incredible the things that would that could change and the potential was there. Um, so I think that's yeah for for us this was um, it's the only kind of award really that that we wanted um, to win, win and to enter and, and we're like lucky enough, enough to win because it's actually um, it's it's actually going to help us get, get to the next step. step you know when this is just running running on passion and, and late nights it, it things like that um, make all the difference. Well, let's just talk about uh, passion and late nights. <laughs> it's not. It is obviously it's working, you know. And um, uh, as a as a as a dad, as a young dad, etc. You know, uh, a full time job, doing this in the evening, kids, um, family responsibility stuff. How do you manage? We're going to be talking more around designing your life now. But how do you manage your life? How do you um, how do you maintain your you know being the best you can be? I, I try, I think it's, you, you have to kind of keep adjusting, you know, your life changes and you, you have to adjust and having one kid was very different to having two and um, having them now in school is very different to when they were just both at home. Uh, I mean, I am fortunate in that I have an incredibly uh, supportive wife um, and who has just been uh, kind of, our, you know, the rock of our house for for the last uh, I mean ten years really, but um, who can really understand? I think she understands all the 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 reasons that I, I do this, and um, and is just uh, you know like never endingly supportive. Um, and then I think it's it's really about like find you know finding those moments. You you make sure obviously you don't. I don't want to do things at the expense of of family life you know and um uh i want to make sure that i am kind of being present and it's it's really just a case of like fine tuning your calendar and and really being mindful of um you know of when you have those times when you have like a little bit of downtime is that you are using that uh you're giving that to you know your family and then when you have a little bit more you can give it to the project and knowing which needs uh, the most at any given time, you know, I think is is really part of the juggling act. I think it's it's not it's not easy. Um, you know, sometimes the project has to kind of take a back seat. You know, when my day job really picks up and um, starts to become my night job as well. Um, and there are times when we just need to go on holiday as a family, and I don't, you know, I I don't want to pick up my laptop and you know detach from that um so i think 
it, it, it's a constant juggling act and I don't know if I've cracked it. I don't know if anyone ever does. Um, for me, I think my goal is to get my day job and the, the you know, my passion projects or the, the, the things that I'm really passionate about to get them to be one and the same. And that's the, I think that's the end goal is to really just be, you know, doing something um, that I'm completely passionate about. And I love what I do now. I'm very passionate about it now. But to bring the stuff that I have to put on, uh, you know, do at night to make sure that I'm able to do that in my days as well. And that's the final uh, the final goal that I'm just kind of marching towards. But, yeah, it's it's really, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I've got three kids too uh, that are like, my youngest is now 16, almost turning 17. So I'm kind of mm. older and, and been through it. But it is funny how of, of, often I think, God, I feel like I'm the, you know, we felt like we were the first person to ever have a kid. You know, <laughs> the first person that the kid's ever gone to school yeah. or, you know, tried to make the whole thing work. It's such a bizarre thing. Mm. There, all this time of all these thousands of years, we're, we're still not winging it, but it kind of thing <laughs> at, at times. <laughs> Yeah. There's an element of, you know, just sheer determination. There's absolute questioning. Am I doing the right thing? And now, obviously, for a creative person, you're going to be thinking about your work. You're going to be in your work. You're going, oh my God, is this idea good enough? Is, it be- is this a great idea? You know, what... W- yeah. uh, and it's also, too, also around your, 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 in your relationship with your partner, with your children's kind of, I guess, their future plan and career, you know, education and, and kind of how their life unfolds. It's knowing what is the right thing to do. And um, how do you how do you tackle that? Is it something that you just have a, um, over, you hope, you know, you feel that, um, you know when it's right? I mean, how do you know when, you know, uh, when you have so many options potentially and um, homing in on one as the kind of route to go? I feel like it, I, I know when it's right is if I have, the energy for it you know and if I have the energy at a point when I shouldn't really have energy you know and for me like this project was a good example in that um, you know I, I worked my regular day you know which and which and all the things that that entails and I'd get home and I'd you know do dinner and put the kids to bed and and then um, spend some time you know with my wife and then and then I would open up my laptop and start on this project and then sometimes it would be that would begin at like 10 p.m and i would do that for three you know three hours two or three hours but i had the energy to do it you know and i think for me when it's uh when it isn't right it can it feels like a drag and it feels like a weight um and and i'm looking for i'm looking for anything to get me you know to distract me you know and um when it when i when it's right and when it's like you know, you just know it and you feel like I, I can't wait to get back into it and I get a second wind at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and I have the energy to kind of carry on. And for me, that that's always been a good sign is that if you can, if it can just, it, it seems to just kind of come up naturally and um, it's very different to, you know, working on a pitch at 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, when every headline you know you're kind of like having to like bang out of your head 
like a word at a time you know it's um yeah i th- i feel like that's been the biggest difference is like you know do i get that like second wind um yeah yeah that's interesting also i i find that too when you've got an idea you go and just your whole body feels it and you're just so motivated sometimes i talk to people about the idea and they kind of the the potential naysayers and they're kind of like uh yeah what if you did like this or you know what why are you doing this you know why do, why don't you do, stick to your day job for god's sake so haven't you got enough to do get your priorities right do you, did you have do you have any of that come along in the in the over the time that you've been doing this project? Um, loads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, you listen to them and go, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, what am I thinking here? Am I right? Are they right? Did you, did you get to that point? Or were you, did you believe in it so strongly that you just kept going? Um, I, I, I think I, I, was, I was never, well, I, ho- I hope that I was never so kind of arrogant that I, I immediately kind of, anyone who disagrees with me, I'm, I'm like, you know, shutting them out. I think I always want to hear what they say. And then for me, it's like, I know, I know at its core what it should be. And I know why I think it should be that. And, um, and then there are some kind of things around the edge that you can fine tune and everyone's going to have an opinion on that. But for me, there was like a, a, an untouchable center of it. And so we had people who questioned it and, and questioned whether, they question whether the idea would work which is like kind of the natural response you know because nothing like this exists currently um or has been thought of you know in terms of a gun violence prevention idea so it's natural to kind of question whether it would work or not um and i usually found that those conversations are like the most kind of uh helpful because you have someone who's like really pressure testing your idea someone who usually comes from like a they've worked on this for years you know far longer than i have and they've seen the effects of gun violence you know firsthand and and they were the most valuable in that they were pressure testing it and gave me a chance to really um defend it and at the end a lot of the time they you know they were they became big supporters and um and then there were some people who who were like uh no we we don't we don't want to be involved because you know the the graphic imagery isn't really. It's it, we're worried it, it's it's going to be too, um, you know, too divisive, and uh, we don't want to want, want it associated with our, you know, our name. You know, and and these are some of them were organizations who are gun violence prevention organizations, and for for me that was like the most telling, and it was the one thing that I was certain that we weren't going to lose at least for this first like iteration i wanted people to see it out in the world at its most graphic and if in 15 years it comes out it for real and it's text only warnings which is what happened here with the the tobacco fair enough but um that was the thing i kind of i held on to and i was like you know what that i understand it um but you know, if you don't think that, like, this is, you know, for whatever reason, if this is too divisive, I personally, I think that's, you're wrong. I think we need to, this is where we need to go. We do need to shock people. And that was, for me, the, the line. Um, so I, I, I guess it's always knowing what, for you, is what's movable, what's debatable, and what's 
not, you know? What's the core, the center of your idea that can't be, um, you know, that can't be kind of uh, tampered with? And uh, yeah, I, I had a pretty strong sense of that on this project. To trust your gut instincts. A little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It's, um, y you know, sometimes it means you're having to, you know, trust yourself over some people who are um, incredibly, like, uh, high up and, and uh, very, very smart and who aren't ever really wrong about anything. Um, and for me, I, I had, to, for this one, because it was so personal, I had to, you know, kind of... Uh, put that aside and think actually no I still I believe it needs to be this way um, I can't tell you why you know it's I feel so strongly about it and uh, I would rather stick with it you know and um, do it this way and if it if it if it comes to the, to it and it has to change later down the line at least I've put it into the world as I intended it um, yeah as as Dave given his stamp of approval uh, yeah, yeah, he was, um, he's, he was, he's, you know, he's actually, I think one of the best things about working here is that, you know, David is, is very vocal about the, the things that he believes in and like that we should be using, um, you know, our resources as an agency and like our talents as like a creative department or a creative agency, you know, to, to make change, make positive change, um, in culture and in the world, you know, and he's he's very um, proactive at that. So, I think the fact that I I kind of went off and did this, I think he he yeah he he liked the project and he was uh, very supportive and offered to help um, however he could. Uh, so I'm sure that's something I'll be taking him up on in the in the future. That's good. Oriel, do you think you've designed your life? Um, as best I can right now. If um, do you ever really fi fully design it? Is it ever finished? I don't know. Um, I think you design it as best you can for the moment you're in, and I feel like right now I've got a pretty good, uh, a pretty good design, or at least a temp a working template that um, that seems to uh, to be working. And um, uh, who knows? Um, how I could improve it in the future, but I'm sure I will. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's beautiful. Um, Oriol, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Loved our conversation and hearing all about you and uh, your motivations and the project is incredible. Uh, anyone listening in um, who's really keen to kind of see an opportunity to help Oriol to kind of bring this project to life, certainly get in touch. Thanks, Vince. Yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.